Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. Lord, Lord have mercy. All night, Sunday, Central. Follow me now. Say, say, I think it's the rolling hip hop. Say, Jay Rolls is the rolling hip hop. Hello, listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Created for Marketers by Marketers podcast. My name is Billy Louisu, and we've been working hard to find marketing topics which will help you level up your skills and that will blow your mind. Today is episode three of season four, and the topic for today is the journey to hyper personalization. We'll be discussing real world examples of how data, team design, and enablement in combination can deliver real-world results. My guest for today is Andy Sutton. Andy is a big data leader who sits at the intersection between data, technology, and marketing and strives to deliver leading digital solutions. He spent time early in his career at Lloyd Banking Group in the UK, then moved to Australia and joined Woolworths, Dan Murphy's, and today is the GM of Analytics at Endeavour Group. Morning, Andy. How are you? I'm good. Uh, How are you, Billy? I am very well, mate. Um, yeah, Thursday morning, long Easter weekend on the horizon, so I'm ready to kind of shut down for a couple of days. But I'm wanted yeah. to make sure we I had this conversation. I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. <laughs> so, Andy, you moved to Australia from the UK, mate. Was it for the coffee? Was it for the sunshine? What was it? I think I think it was a combination of those things. <laughs> I backpacked. I backpacked here in about. 99, 2000, so some time ago now, um, and absolutely loved the lifestyle and the culture. And it took me 15 years then to persuade my wife um, that we should we should move here. So we moved here <laughs> in 2016 with, with two kids, sold yeah. everything in the UK, packed the house up, put it in a crate, uh, and, and moved to Australia, which on reflection was 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 scary. I'm <laughs> oh, sure it was. Yeah. It kind of did, didn't seem it at the time. It just seemed like the right thing to do. And just like there was more excitement than anything else, really. Yeah, you moved to a beautiful part of the world, mate. So if I say so myself, my dad did the same thing, 24, 25, packed everything up, moved to Australia, and he's been here ever since. So so welcome, mate. You've brought a lot of wealth and a lot of, uh, in, skill. I would say, skill to this uh, the Australian market, you know, digital and digital transformation. And a lot of people I talk to who have come from other parts of the world just have accelerated knowledge. So I'm really excited to jump into this. But before I do so, uh, I'm going to critique your music tastes. So <laughs> marketers and music, mate, what music do you listen to when you work? Or what's your favorite album? Yes. So you are you are going to critique me because this is going to be an embarrassing reveal. Um, so, so there's like, there's, I guess there's this there's, there's serious answer and then there's the, the the fun one. So so I grew up in the 90s, I guess, right, really. So my musical taste was all like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, um, Stone Temple Pilots, anything that came out of um, Seattle, really. So Amazing. I still listen to... 10, which is still one of the best albums I'd ever heard. And you know how they say your musical taste forms like in your 20s and then it never changes. Well, Spot that's on. pretty much been true of me. I've not discovered any new new music in the last 25 years. Um, although I kind of listen to a lot of the music that my kids listen to these days as well. Um, they're massive K-pop fans. So you look at my, um, my, my kind of most listened to albums, they all tend to be K-pop albums, but I'm a bit of a closet Swifty, that's on a Taylor Swift fan. Um, <laughs> so I've got Midnight's on repeat in the car at the moment. I've also got the um, Flowers by uh, Miley Cyrus on repeat too. So yeah, that's my. Uh, so when the kids not... are in the car, or when the kids are out of the car. 
Oh, when the kids aren't in the like, we started off with when the kids are in the car, like, but, but now it's like my go-to when they're not either. So that's my uh, not quite uh, so hidden secret because everybody knows it. Um, I'm quite quite open about it. That is funny, like, mate. I, well, I just like good. I just like good music. So like whatever it is, whatever genre, like the yeah. the good good stuff. And I just yeah. like I'm just quite eclectic. I'm, I can't listen to anything at different times depending on mood, really. It's catchy. I'll tell you what, it, it's catchy. I've got two kids myself, so I catch myself listening to their music when they're not in the car and uh, and make sure my windows are up. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's uh, you mentioned um, Seattle grunge. I had the luxury of being in Seattle quite a couple of times in the last couple of years. And um, I went and, you know, visited the Cobain house. I, I went and saw where Pearl Jam were founded at the Crocodile Inn. And, you know, you, you made the statement of, you know, your music's like, you know, taste created in your 20s. And I'd have to say, I think Seattle's music scene is stuck in that era too. <laughs> People dress like they're still in the grunge <laughs> scene. And uh, it's amazing. I absolutely loved it. I, I went in there uh, for a beer and um, there was a couple of bands playing, but it's it's a great era of music, and I can see why you still listen to it. I was supposed to go to Seattle actually, um, 2020, um, literally the week that COVID broke, kind of in China, and then started to make its way to Australia. So I was due to fly out on the, I think it was on the Friday, and the border got closed on the Wednesday. I was supposed Ooh. to go to Seattle and to to actually meet with some of the uh, team from um, Amperity, in fact, um, and then yeah, I haven't managed to make it. Since. <laughs> note to self note to self that's now on my to-do list get andy <laughs> to seattle i'll make it happen well mate give us a brief introduction in yourself to yourself i think um this topic of the journey to hyper personalization being something that we've spoken about as a as a market relevant of the vertical you're in company's been trying to achieve it i'd love for you to talk about you know how you've gotten to this position in your career and, and why this topic's relevant to you yeah, it's it's always interesting that um, I kind of you put a lot of things down to luck or being in the right place, or you can put a lot of things down to luck or being in the right place at the right time. Um, so I guess my passion's always been analytics. So you know, I'm a bit of a geek. I've got a maths degree, so I started off doing a statistics role in, a, in an insurance company, <laughs> which morphed into marketing analytics, which then morphed into much more exciting stuff around marketing effectiveness, measurement and budgeting, all those kind of things. And and personalization in a banking context was was quite simple, right? It's like, can you get the right name on top of the the, the marketing material to a customer, um, which is harder than it sounds in the banking world? <laughs> and can you contact them at the right time? So if you're selling car insurance or home insurance, can you contact them at the time they're looking to renew? And those are the two key things. And if you got those two things right, you uplift, you managed to uplift response by about ten times what you would do if you hit them at the, a random just time of the year, and, right. and so that's probably where it got started. But it wasn't even really called personalization then; it was just called you know, direct marketing, really, I guess. Mm. Um, and then when I moved to, out to financial services, which was probably the best thing I ever did, <laughs> um, and moved into retail, you, you end up in a world of much more information where you can be really focused on. What does the customer want? What's the customer need? You can get personalized down to their you know, individual product, et cetera. And mm -hmm. it's just the sheer amount of data that you've got in a Woolworths world or an Endeavor world or in a retailer world that makes it exciting. Because mm -hmm. um, you can get to that true one-to-one -one personalization, which 
in reality, you could never really get to in the financial services. Mm-hmm. I think that's started to develop because you, the banks have started to use the transactional data on their customers to understand Correct. where where they shop and, and and what what they do outside of their banking life. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I, you know, I was that was probably two thousand and ten. I was I kind of I was doing this in a in a, in a financial services world. Um, and big data wasn't really a concept. So you didn't really have that ability to crunch the data as you do today. So yes. I think that there's so much more data in in in, in retail. There's so much data accessible these days, regardless of vertical, you can do a lot more with personalization, I guess. So. Yeah, you're spot on. And if I worked in some with some banking clients too, probably back 10 years ago, and you're spot on. I was doing direct mail pieces with um, you know, either car insurance or new credit cards and as far as we got was personalizing the credit card image <laughs> with your name on it. Yeah. And that's where it stopped. But, you know, neo banking is evolving that. And I would say the credit card linking is evolving that, but you spot up like the, the amount of data you have in retail, this notion of, you know, the average company is going to have 45 data sources on a customer by 2020, I think it was 2025. And, you know, 99% of the world's data was only created in the last two years. Like it is, it is, it's 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 an enormous amount of insight that if you can harness it, you know you can you can make the consumer experience so much better. So the first thing I want to kind of dive into is this kind of notion of data is is king. I've always been a true believer that the businesses who blend data and creativity traditionally have the best uh, marketing campaigns and the best business stories to tell around growth. I want I want to hear your perspective on, you know the term data is king and how you've been using data in your career. Yeah. And I, I think I'm probably deliberately provocative on this one, if I'm honest, because mm-hmm. I think the the reality is, is what you've just talked about, right? You, you need to blend the art with the science. It's, it's not all about data. I think mm-hmm. companies that are using data on top of or as well as what they do from a business logic perspective or from a art perspective, marketing, et cetera, are the ones that will win. But you do always need that um, creative element as well as the data. So yeah, I'm coming at this with the point of view of being a geek. And mm-hmm. therefore in my world, like it's all about the data. Um, <laughs> however, I'm not that blind to the fact that actually there's also the custom experience side of things. There's the, there's the how, how do you use data to drive better creative, better better copy, et cetera, as well. And mm-hmm. um, the, the key thing though is I think that the expectations just keep growing almost exponentially because mm-hmm. of what you know what in some respects what the big boys are doing, right? So you Netflix, Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. the experience you get in those worlds, which is you know a, an experience a hundred percent tailored to you. Mm-hmm. If you then move out of that world into a retail shopping world or into financial services or whatever, and you don't get that same level of one-to-one experience mm-hmm. that jars. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, as, a, as a retailer these days, when you're doing personalization or you're or a financial service company, even you're not competing with just other banks or, or other retailers. You're also competing with the experience offered by uh, a Spotify or Netflix. Right? So, so that's the mantra we've tried to have internally is that it, it's not just about, you know, having an experience that's better than other mm-hmm. liquor retailers. It's also yep. about having experience that start to match to what um, customers expect. And that expectation is driven regardless of vertical, really. Oh, mate, that's a great perspective because your competition is exactly right. It's not just those who are going to take your client's share of wallet. It's they take your clients or your customer's share of mind. And 
yeah. they will come back to you and expect a very similar, you know, interaction or spontaneous kind of experience. And if you look at those platforms you mentioned, Netflix, Spotify, Facebook, they've got one thing in common. They're very clear on the value exchange as to why you would create your own profile. I'll look at my Netflix account downstairs and there's a photo of a little werewolf. That's my son. There's a photo of a little ballerina. That's my daughter. There's a follow, there's a photo of, 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 of a older woman and um, you know, the princess, that's my wife. And then there's a photo of a monkey and it's me, but those profiles, <laughs> uh, those profiles are the um, built to tailor when I'm watching and everything they give us is completely different and they've got it down to a, an art and a science and the art is how they can create the experience, which is seamless to be able to use a control and the science is their recommendation. So I, I spot on, on, on that point. So talk me through that notion of data, you know, having just, it's just in every, it's everywhere, right? So talk me through how you guys have, and what you've seen, how businesses are trying to solve, just making sense of that data that they've got. Yeah, so I think let's let's do from a customer data lens first of all, and because my my role now is more broad than that across all of our domains, but we're easy just to talk about the customer domain. We've done a couple of things, I guess, in that space to kind of help us on our personalization journey. One one is actually building out the single view of customer as one of the first things we did, uh, and partnering with an external third party to build a build essentially, a, I guess, a CDP that brings all of that data together into one place. Mm-hmm. Uh, across our brands to to have that single version of the truth across the business mm-hmm. so that, that, that that's the first thing and then the second thing that we did i guess was build with specific use cases or uh yeah specific use cases or specific problems in mind so we knew that what the first thing we wanted to do was personalize uh, uh direct marketing to email for dance because that mm-hmm. was our single biggest channel to do i guess push marketing mm-hmm. and so we kind of work backwards from me right if that's what we want to do this is that these are the data points we need to enable that to happen therefore this is the transformation of the data we need this therefore this is the source we need mm-hmm. and actually going quite deep into that into that one area mm-hmm. rather than trying to um rather than trying to solve everything in one go so that means even though i guess we've got a single customer view mm-hmm. it's not all of our data from all of our platforms in got one it. place it's the things we needed to be able to execute the activity that we want to do. And then yep. we continue to iterate and keep building new slices on what we call customer pulse, which is our customer data asset. And we keep building on that over time. Yep. I think the danger the, 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 the danger you can have is, what do you say, how many records on the customer? Say you've got 27 systems on customer data. Yep. Is that The first thing you do is try and stitch all 27 together. Mm. Uh, then your three, your three years down the track, potentially <laughs> before you've delivered any value. Yeah. And yep. therefore, you probably haven't got a job anymore. Um, <laughs> and it, it's about getting that balance right of of knowing where you want to go, but then also delivering or or delivering value in stages. Yes. And um, yep. so we're very clear when we built the asset itself that had to generate value at the start, and then personalization is more value on top of it. And then as you move into real time use cases for digital, you then start to do real time data at the same time. You don't try and build all that up up front. Yeah. Speed speed to value or speed to some speed to value. Is so important. 100%. So, yeah. you know, you know, you you guys are very good at being able to identify what the end game is and and why you're building that app and what's the use cases. And you look at you know Dan's BWS and 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 the work now that's going into the hotel group. I think um, 
that always starts with strategy and maps back to data, which is a really important point. So in order to deliver all this stuff, right, you've got so many teams that sit inside of, of your, your, your group, teams across IT and data and marketing and creative. And so talk to me through uh, driving personalization, these cross-functional teams, how do you bring people together and how do you create this, these kind of, let's just call them squads or fun cross-functional teams to actually get things done? Yeah. And um, it's, uh, I, I, I'm going to claim very little credit for how we have set <laughs> ourselves up more broadly across the organization, because that, that kind of, it came from two perspectives. One, it came from, we set up Endeavor X um, mm -hmm. as our digital function. Mm -hmm. which was a, I, I guess, uh, the, the precursor to that was Woolies X yeah, in, mm -hmm. in Woolworths. And, and we yeah. kind of copied and adapted that model. And we've done the same with advanced analytics as well. Um, but I guess what, what we've done really is bring together, and it's easy to talk about cross-functional teams, but then it was harder to define what that actually means. But Correct. we brought together cross-functional squads, mm -hmm. uh, which, which deliver on, individual missions so as an example in the in the personalization space when we set it up originally we we set up one squad which was focused on building our single view customer mm -hmm. another squad that was focused on building our single view product which are the two key constituent parts really for a personalization engine and then one squad which was responsible for building the personalization engine itself well personalization are kind of outcomes mm -hmm. and when we talk about a squad and cross-functional, we mean everything from a squad can, uh, you, you have your core delivery resources like a product manager and an app and a delivery lead, mm -hmm. a BA probably to kind of work with the business to understand requirements. Um, mm -hmm. But then we also bring in data scientists, developers, engineers, marketers, merchandising people, and bring them all into the kind of collective squad. Mm. And what that means, mm -hmm. you, you kind of reduce the gap then between the business and tech. And broader tech, I don't mean tech as in pure IT tech, but just people who build technology. Mm -hmm. um, and that, for personalization in particular, ended up being the secret source for us, which is you've then got everybody who needs to be involved to solve the problem broadly in the squad. Um, mm -hmm. So you need merchandise people to you know, give you the products that you want to be able to personalize on. You need them to be able to sell it back to their colleagues in the business as well. You need marketing into design uh, offers, copy creative mm -hmm. uh etc and then you need people who can actually build technical stuff um so we put them all together and then we try to say <laughs> go, go off and solve yep tell us what budget you need tell us what the plan looks like tell us when it will be done by tell us when you're blocked so we can help unblock you um and then get out of the way and let them get on with it so that's the intent it, <laughs> it's not always as smooth crystal clear as that and smooth as that it never is right and yeah it's easy to sit here and talk about it after the fact than in the moment correct but that's that's the how we create things um and, and the missions the one of the most difficult parts of that is actually defining the mission so that, that kind of model i talked about where we had three squads that doesn't exist anymore we've we've kind of we've kept adapting what the missions are mm. and what individual squads are focused on over time depending on where the most value is at any point in time how often do you do that like those the remodeling of those those missions in some respects, it's, it's kind of it's kind of continuous in a way that you're always looking for yeah. how do we how do we pivot or or how do we kind of I guess slightly course correct. Mm -hmm. More formally, it's uh, 
annually from a budgeted perspective and then we we work we have the concept of trimesters so mm -hmm. four monthly blocks where we reprioritize and replan yeah uh, so that's probably the, the the reality but we're also running you know, two weekly sprints and so you do have the ability to course correct every two weeks as well but it, it's yeah. trimester is the kind of the big opportunity to go like let's take a step back are we focusing on the right things um mm. etc i would say that's not too dissimilar to to how i launch a software company right arguably very clear on what our mission is um we build a cross-functional team of experts that can do everything from you know market solution project deliver and we reevaluate that probably on a trimester, you know, quarterly, or I would say quarterly targets, but yearly basis on how we forecast and what our expectation is for the mission in the next year. Very similar. So yeah. I would yeah. say, you know, that the difference in, in, in our, ours is we're delivering, you know, projects on behalf of our brands. You guys are delivering projects with, with vendors and on behalf of the business as well across multiple brands. So interesting. That's really insightful. Yeah, it is. It's it is. It's very similar, and um, and I think that's actually that's probably the intent. If I'm honest, is mm. is to mirror that kind of approach because it because it works, right? And mm. it's not the traditional way that teams do analytics, right? And we've mm. only just started to do this really from a more uh, broad analytics perspective, where we yep. say, okay, well, even when we're building products for internal customers, so you know, we're building spreadsheets or reports or applications for our merge teams to use, ops teams to use, etc let's take the same mindset because at the end of the day, they're customers. They're a different group of customers because they're internal rather than external. Yep. Uh, but you take the same approach, which is you bring the people who've got the problem mm. and the people who can solve the problem closer together rather than have this kind of bridge between them, which nobody wants to cross. Nah, <laughs> yeah, the cross into Mordor. Um, well, <laughs> let's, uh, let's jump into um, those missions, right, and how you actually deliver against them and the biggest buzzword of probably the 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 you know let's just call it the 2010s plus was agile ways of working but i did see some really great results at some of the companies i worked with around implementing these agile ways inside of these cross functional teams is that something that also rings true within inside the edg group yeah i think the um the challenge with agile or the there's two right there's the, the opportunity is how do you develop the agile mindset mm -hmm. um around you know dream big fail fast as mm -hmm. one as one of them how you how you get people to think iteratively rather than the kind of the big bang end state mm -hmm. how you increase the visibility of the work that you're working on so that people can kind of see that how you celebrate success how you learn from failure why well, even how you learn from success right mm -hmm. all of those things are the important parts to me at least what people can get hung up on is the doing agile, which is, you know, have we got the right ceremonies? Are we calling things squads, tribes, <laughs> teams, whatever, whatever? Oh, are we doing the right level of sprint planning? So all the things you do to make agile work, whereas, Correct. and then the, the main kind of theme can get lost around, well, actually we want to be agile, which means we want to be able to pivot quickly. That, those, so it's the mindset piece that I kind of, I'm more, I'm trying to be more focused on rather than the what, you need mm -hmm. to do is the how you do it um, but ultimately it's about building high performance teams really right mm -hmm. like that was the penny drop moment for me i, I went on a, a course by a company called shift three three one four i think they were called there's the american mm -hmm. or canadian company yep. um, and they talked about you know take all of the agile buzzwords away and actually 
agile is about bringing the right people together to solve a particular problem do that and do that at pace and do it in a in a way that's kind of yeah, high performance um and then the penny drops because you go actually some of this stuff people are doing anyway it's just, it's just, mm. these are just there's just some artifacts and some processes to put around the how you build that high performance yeah um and that's the intent from our perspective at least is um um is to to do that i think one of the challenges always is is, is people right mm. <laughs> that's all of us right so you need we need to find ways of uh, you know implementing servant leadership and taking ego out of the way and all those kind of things which which aren't easy right um no it's the because, hardest thing you talk to some yeah, of the best basketball coaches or football coaches in the world they say it's yeah. the ego you need to figure out how to work with and that's including mine right as in yeah. like you get to a certain level of experience and career because of the decisions i guess you at least partly made along the way and mm -hmm. you kind of think, oh my decision making is what kind of gets me to here but actually what we're trying to do now is push some of that decision making into the squads and take it yeah. away from senior leaders um and that's that's always a challenge but um mm -hmm. that's the intent we have at least and if you start with intent at least you're moving in the right direction yeah so this personalization projects that you guys are continuously evolving and and how are the teams the agile team is delivering on those. What was kind of like the, let's just call it personalization V1. When where are you at? Where are you where are you now? And where do you want to get to? So probably on about version forty five. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. Where so, so we've been on a we've been on the personalization journey since about two thousand two thousand eighteen. I joined Endeavor, mm -hmm. but even before that, we already started on the journey. So two thousand seventeen, and that was starting with simple stuff like past purchase now we're, then it kind of evolved into um predicting kind of the next best product mm -hmm. um so not just what you've bought before but what you might want to buy next mm -hmm. um and trying to eliminate doing silly things like well you need to get more granular about how you predict products because if you're just getting to like a Shiraz level, there's a massive difference between a ninety dollar bottle and a twenty dollar bottle, and how do you just make sure that people aren't getting or being downsold or upsold? Yeah. And then the, the third guys kind of evolution was um, was when we built our personalization engine in 2020, 2020, 2020 back in the twenty start of twenty one, because that then moved us into the whole world of. Um, I guess the big data way of doing this. So you're not just you're optimizing across everything. So not just the the product, but also the image, the copy, the creative, the title, the subject, yep. the tone of the email, all those kind of <laughs> things, and doing all of that at scale. And oh, amazing. So that was the big kind of step forward. Mm -hmm. And and that was the secret to that, I think, was one was the cross-functional team stuff. The second one, we, we did partner externally on that as well to give us a, a leg up. Mm -hmm. And and we had some of the assets already in place. So we already had that single customer view we had the the bones of the single product view as well and yep. and um we already had some of the recommendation models it was kind of all bringing it together in email and then all of the iterations since then are really about rolling out across other channels so how do you do that into web app push marketing mm. uh into social and things eventually yeah. and then also then the next i guess iteration of that is into is to real time so Everything we do at the moment is still kind of reasonably batched, mm -hmm. but even even batch work, even batch personalized works so much better than batch unpersonalized. Um, I think again, one of the cautions I think I'd have is understanding 
like people talk about real time, but understanding why you need real time and in what use cases or what what experiences you need real time for. Spot on. Um, because you don't necessarily need, like, is it near real time you need? Is it actual real time? Do I really need to know that this item that's yeah. just been put into somebody's basket massively changes their probability to buy this next thing? Maybe yeah. I do, maybe I don't. Um, yeah. I think it's worth understanding the why people want to do real time. Spot on. And those loyalty use cases, I'd say, <clears throat> you know, a customer has put something into cart and you want to recalculate the cart based on what offers may be available. That's a real-time use case, right? You you yeah. want to know in real time how loyalty is going to drive increment incrementality. But there's probably, yeah, there's so much variance that comes down to that use case. So you, you mentioned um, these personalization engines and, you know, you know, next best offers and products. Let's fast forward <clears throat> into the world of the marketer in 2030, even now to some respect, right? How How is their role changing? We know we talk a lot about predictions and, and algorithms and, and AI and, and, and Andy, I'd say that, you know, you've been on probably chat GPT since infancy. How do you see the new role for marketers in a world where, yeah, technology is the backbone and they have so many tools at their disposal. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a reality that it's not just a marketing thing. It's just, if you look more broadly, it's it's going to, AI technology, et cetera, is going to impl impact um, mm -hmm. a lot broader, you know, uh, all, all parts of our business, I would think, and all parts of the economy in general or business in general. But yeah, I think what marketing does have going for it in some respect to the fact that it, it's kind of always adapted, right? It, it would have you know, originally been, I guess, quite traditional way, but it's always continued to evolve in terms of, first of all, it's about technology, mm -hmm. um, as in you know, CDP or things that provide more insight and allow you to target. And mm -hmm. market, market has always evolved, right? You've, you've always had to learn new technology, that isn't so you move from this kind of this mass market view of almost i guess spray and pray originally right which was mm. you, you kind of put the message out there and you know it's going to work for 50 percent of people and not the other 50 percent. you don't really know which ones mm -hmm. and their market has got a lot more um focused on measuring uh, the activity they do and kind of measuring the roi mm -hmm. and then as we moved more into digital world got more specific about that because you can you can obviously track responses end to end so mm -hmm. i've done this and this is the response i've got so i think it's just an, an evolution of, of that um, yeah. I think potentially it automates some of the um, some of the the creation of things. So mm -hmm. creation of content, creation of copy, creation of offers, and and that decision making piece around who should I target and with what. Yeah, that starts to become well. It's impossible to. You're not going to beat the computer, right? So yeah, that's it. If you've got a trillion, a trillion different things you could do, which you kind of have when you've got forty thousand SKUs and a million different customers, right? You <laughs> you can't decide what's the best part of features. It's just impossible, right? Yeah. And so you kind of go, well, let the computer do that part because that's what it's good at. And then what's my job as a marketer? Well, it's to understand which groups of customers am I not appealing to, and therefore I need to develop more compelling products or offers or promotions. Mm -hmm. Um. So, you know, and how do I create those things at scale to be able to speak to each customer individually? Um, yeah. Because that's where we currently fall short sometimes personalization is you can uniquely target to me or to you or to anybody else. 
as long yeah. as you've got the right copy and creative to do that. And, and, and ChatGPT or generative AI starts to lead into that space as well. But it's always yeah. about feeding, and it becomes about feeding the machine with the right things, having the right strategy, et yeah. cetera. So marketing be, potentially becomes more strategic than I think because you don't yeah. have to do the tactical execution piece. Yeah. And you know what's funny about that is when you look at, if you have, you know, watch Mad Men with Don Draper, the job of a marketer was very much ingrained in understanding the market you know, your competitive differentiators, what branding proposition was going to work, really the, yeah. the nuances in price and promotion and placement and briefing in an agency to say, come up with the most, you know, hilarious ad or, you know, FOMO ad or something that is going to push people's buttons to come buy this product. And they kind of, that's where they kind of stepped back and they said, you know, bring in brief in the agency and, and then see what they come back with. The last probably 10, 15 years, I'd say technology has really started to be at the forefront of, well, now you can start doing this yourself. And I'd say, you know, we just, we discussed the new role for marketers. There's still a whole heap of marketers out there who just never really found their feet in this world of technology and using technology. So I'd say you make a really interesting point. There's going to be people who run down the, 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 tech route and understanding the power of the technology. And I think there's still going to be a, a sweet set of marketers now who can actually just get ground themselves in the data and be those strategic leaders in, in, in the brand marketing team. So I, th I think you're going to see a, a blend of, of roles start to come out of the back of this that may have felt that they were probably either pushed down or, or forgotten about as the marketer. It, the reason that's quite, amazing though in some respects right so i one of the things i i did for fun after finishing my degree was i did a um, in the uk there's a, something called the post graduate diploma of marketing so mm -hmm. it's a uh, it's run by cim which is the chartered institute of marketing in the uk so it's it's like i guess the the most strategic marketing qualification you can do in the uk i'd say i i did that and like, i'm not a marketer right i'm a, like a, i'm a, i think i could be a marketer when i'm hallucinating <laughs> um, but the job is it's quite a, it's a difficult job right? but but yeah. that talks so much more around marketing as what you just described it as right mm. four p's seven p's or however many p's mm. you want to you want to have and mm. and i think some of that the, the drive towards direct marketing in particular is has kind of taken some of that kind of focus on the strategic side of marketing away in certain mm -hmm. places um yeah i i listen to people like mark mark ritson right from a marketing mm -hmm. perspective who who is a very strong advocate of like marketing theory yeah there's yep. there, there's multiple things you do in marketing not just execute campaigns yeah and I, I think that's potentially the it potentially opens up that avenue again that you can come out of the tactical the, the, the execution of tactics in certain channels yep. and back to right what do we want our brand to be what do we want our products to be 100%. Uh, where, where do we want to sell them who do we want to sell them to like like segmentation targeted positioning right those yep. kind of things from marketing perspective so yep. so i can drop buzzwords on marketing into a conversation is what i've just identified as well so, um... <laughs> well mate you know i listen to mark too and and uh i take a lot of what he says uh and, and implement it into my thinking because you know a, a big portion of that is is simplifying what is quite a, a complicated landscape of competitors and trying to understand what you stand for and why you're different if you don't understand that, then your tactics will come out as probably just, you know, muddy, muddy comparison of somebody else's brand. And it's like, well, you know, you've got to get that laser focused. So some brands don't want to be the cheapest, you know, they don't want to be the most premium. So how do you make sure you target the right people in the right in, in the right areas and have the right positioning and packaging 
to make it seem affordable yet premium. There's a whole heap of things and I, I love the psychology behind it. Um, but it's good to know that 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 you studied marketing too. I didn't did not know that about you, but uh I think yeah. I got this I think I got a distinction, which is like worrying, frankly. Um, <laughs> Anyone listening, you know, you need marketing advice, hit up Andy. Um I know enough to be dangerous, but not enough to actually do the job is probably <laughs> the point. <laughs> So the last question I have for you, and then I've got two final ones uh, that are that are the outros. Mate, data is not going anywhere. It is everywhere. It continues to fill up data lakes, data swamps, data, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, where do you see this going to? We've obviously positioned what the role is for marketing. Where do you see, how do you, how do you see data? Is it not just customer data, right? What are the other things that you're wrangling with? Yeah, so so we've we're we're looking at other domains, I guess. So customer is obviously the the one where you can have the I guess the almost the biggest immediate impact because you know you put the right product product in front of the right customer, you you sell more of that product, I guess, right? So that's the that's all that tends to be the key key initial use cases. So we're looking more broadly now across our value chain. So looking at use cases in merchandising with you know right product right price right promotion um which you could argue is marketing in kind of that previous conversation uh, but also <laughs> operations finance people right so trying to look more broadly across the data we've got in the business and therefore the analytics we can we can drive uh, i think the the biggest learning point so far for us has been be crystal clear on the problems to solve so rather than build a and i like the data swamp um terminology because rather than bring all of your data together in one place and then work out what to do with it uh, it's mm -hmm. kind of like well work out what you want to do with it first of all mm -hmm. or at least the, the domains you want to focus on and the, the and then the, the sub problems within those domains mm -hmm. and start start there and work backwards because then that tells you what information you need it, it also tells it you what analytics resources you need it tells you what you need from an engineering perspective it tells you what the building blocks are if you start at this if you start at the start with just the data you can you, know, you you could you could build a lake for ever like single customer views an example right mm -hmm. I, i've been in this game for 20 years so you probably how long have you been doing this kind of close to close to mate yeah 20 years uh, and people have been talking about single customer views since i started and no one's kind of finished it yeah it's, <laughs> it's, it's like candy crush right the levels just keep going up um, <laughs> <laughs> and so um i think if you start with that end in mind which is i guess an old consultancy analogy too right then and work out what your problems are, then you can work out what data you need, and you can work backwards from there. And I think that's the the, the key learning for us so far. Is otherwise you can spend your whole time just building yeah. foundations yeah. Uh, and technology, and that's probably the easiest way to get sacked, frankly, uh, ah, just spend with with no return on the investment. So spot that's on. where I would encourage people to start: is start with what are all the problems the business has got across all the different domains, and then work out how data can be used to solve them, and then work mm -hmm. out what the top priorities are in each of those areas. So. Yeah, and number one right now compliance 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 so anyway that's that's a that's another podcast episode so andy super insightful i think um you know having uh, your your background that you've had in in mathematics and understanding working in banking and in retail and and it's there's a lot of stuff here i think that people can take away but what is the one skill you think businesses or marketing leaders need to take away and implement in their in their own training and their own enablement tomorrow i think the the thing that's going to keep expanding is the need to be 
data I don't know if data literate is the right word but it, mm -hmm. it's it's data fluency data comfortableness whatever you want to mm -hmm. call it it's it's that it's not not just that ability to understand charts and graphs it's the ability to be able to to wrangle it slice and dice it and I don't mean from a technical perspective be able to cut things in multiple ways to understand different perspectives on data mm. um, and be able to be able to triangle triangulate you know multiple data points as well so mm. you can you can and I've had this in previous roles in particular where everybody wants a single version of the truth right but when you've got data from 15 different sources that are coming at you it's, you kind of need to do that, like like in Minority Report, and I'm like, do you know what Minority Report is? Yeah, yeah, yeah Tom Cruise. Not before, not before your time, um, where you're <laughs> almost having to grapple multiple different things, and therefore, and then find like the nugget out of those multiple different perspectives. Yeah, that to me, I guess, is true data literacy or fluency. Where yep. you, you you can see two sets of numbers, you can realize they're different, but you can also understand why and how to plot a course between them. Yeah, um, I think that's going to keep increasing. Obviously, this. Everyone's going to have to get comfortable with AI and generative AI seems to be the latest buzzword. But even when we get through that hype, there was AI is going to keep coming at us. So I don't really see what the pathway back is currently. Um, yep. And so that's the other piece I think for everybody is like, how do how do people start playing with ChatGPT, Bard, mm -hmm. whatever else mm -hmm. to just get comfortable with it? Because I, I don't think it can all sit in data science or analytics teams because there's just not enough capacity or enough data scientists in the world to service all the demand so those mm -hmm. are probably the two the two biggies yeah the, the data literacy ones are hard uh, you know doing analytics for 20 years now and we <laughs> the whole way through that we've been talking about we need to bring the business and stakeholders closer together to be able to talk data yeah we, we think the model we're trying to implement in terms of having product managers and cross-functional squads is is one way of solving that rather than trying to get everybody to be a unicorn and be able to do everything from a data perspective. So Correct. take a brief, do the do the analysis, do the translation to report, then drive the change, then measure the response, then track back. It, 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 it's it's really hard to do all of that. So yep. that's that's why we're building that cross-functional teams partly is to answer that, to, yep. to start to solve some of that gap. So. Yeah. No, I think data literacy is a good one. You tie that in with commercial acumen and it is the spine of most businesses and projects. So I think you're spot on. I think data data literacy is something that I would say most uh, graduates coming out of school today um, are probably a bit more familiar and, and comfortable in that space than, than than some of us who have been around for, for like dinosaurs 20 years. But um, it's, uh, it's, it's, Perfectly aligned with my next question and uh, and uh, around buzzwords in the market, buzzword bingo, favorite buzzword of 2023. What would it be? Yeah. So so I originally wrote down digital, which is the <laughs> which is only just landed in our world in terms of the, that, that kind of that interplay between the physical store and digital and yeah. how those two things sign together. It's very hard currently though for the buzzword not to be generative AI or ChatGPT <laughs> yes. or yes. anything in that space, right? Because yeah. that, and I think it's a great opportunity. It's, the world's gone generative AI bonkers, right? And um, it, it will be amazing to see how much of that becomes a long-term change. And I, I do happen to think it's a, it's a game changer mm. compared to say the metaverse last year, which unless you believed you were going to live in a digital world rather than a, the real one. Um, yeah didn't really it was it was a solution sometimes in search of a problem whereas yep. you look at generative ai you look at the use cases that can immediately spring off it 
Um, and there's a lot it could help us do in terms of just automating the the bits of the job that don't spark joy, shall we say, right? Uh, yeah, there's lots of what them. you want to use it for. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah, there's lots of things that we just don't, like podcasts, right? <laughs> <laughs> How, how, how I'm gonna. I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Andy. I've got an app that I could train your voice, and it allows me to type in letters, and you say things that you don't actually think you say. It is. It is. It is very impressive. I don't use it because I'm authentic, but there is technology like. How that. do I know? All, all I can see is an avatar on the screen. Right? It could quite <laughs> easily be a, 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 you know, an AI version of Billy talking to me. But, hilarious. But uh, it, it's that way. Right? It's about how do we open up access to those kind of tools to everybody, so that. Everybody can use it to become more productive. That's the opportunity for me with generative AI at the moment. And then when you get to a world of something's really interesting that you want to scale or you want to automate and you want to build an application at the top of it or you want to do something a bit more robust, then you bring in the data scientists and the engineers to kind of you know engineer the process and build the application, which is more easily consumable. Yep. Whereas in the first instance, it should be as long as you're doing it responsibly and not you know not putting custom data or whatever into Chat GPT, then it's around how do how does each individual use it? So it's very hard for the buzzword not to be generative AI, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that is that is I I would say the one word that uh, I wake up thinking about, I go to bed thinking about because it is it is some truly impressive use cases that I've seen, and it's hard not to be, um, you know, kind of swooped up in the power of it, and yeah, I feel like. I feel like there's so much more to see in that space. So Fidgetal was a good one. I think Fidgetal is is something that, you know, correct me, if, maybe maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think I coined the term back in 2015. It may have been time before that, but uh, I remember talking about it and even singing along to Let's Get Physical, um, <laughs> but changing the words to Let's Get Fidgetal uh, at a Salesforce conference. I don't think it went down too hot, but um. Andy, thank you so much, mate. This has been awesome. Um, I really appreciate you making time to have this chat. I think the 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 journey and the path that you guys are on at Endeavor Group is is fascinating. Um, it's a joy, you're a joy to work with, and it's been great getting to know you over the last couple of years. So thank you for your time. Um,